The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who follow With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And with that, good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people. All the boat rockers who are in the house and anybody else I may have missed, too. The Sons of Liberty Radio Show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here on Friday morning, and uh, boy, we're... Uh, ending a very, very busy week here at the Brown House. And uh, I told you we're working with chickens and trying to get a chicken coop. And then the weather changed, and that was really rough for me last night uh, working on that. If you want to check us out online, though, sonsoflibertyradio.com, sonsoflibertymedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio, you can head over to sonsoflibertymedia.com. Scroll down on the right side of the page, and you can join us on the video portion of the radio show. And uh, just scroll down on the right, second video down, we're going live there. All you have to do is click that, and it will enlarge on the screen. That's right, you can see the faces made for radio. And also, 
you can click onto that and join everyone in the chat that we've got going on. A lot of people in there, like-minded Christian patriots and such that are in there, and uh, you'll gain some encouragement from that as well. Also, right above that is Bradley's show from yesterday, and you can click on that and play that. He'll go live at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central today, and uh, every day, actually, at uh, 3 o'clock Eastern Time. You can catch him there. Scroll right up. There's a place where you can subscribe to our newsletter. We don't rent your email. We don't sell it. We don't spam you. One email a day. It's all the articles we put out for the day at sonsoflibertymedia.com, including our our morning show archive. So you get a video uh, portion of the show. You get the podcast. You get any of the stuff that we talk about, links, all of that stuff. If you say, hey, I missed something in that. What was that you were talking about? Go to Sons of Liberty Media. It's in there, but it'll also be in your email inbox every night when uh, we send those out. So be sure to sign up for those. If you believe in the Sons of Liberty Media's message, we don't ask you for money. Let me make that clear. We don't ask you for money. We just tell you we have needs. And if you would like to help and support those needs, there's a donate button at sonsoflibertymedia.com right at the top of the page. Click on that. You can make a one-time donation, or you can partner with us monthly in what we do as a son or daughter of liberty, that link is also at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. And then our store button is there. If you want to pick up uh, products for yourself or maybe for gifts, they're great conversation starters, T-shirts, hats, water bottles, coffee mugs, that kind of stuff. And then we have other uh, items in there that help equip you. A DVD series by Bradley called My War, that's in there as well. And also uh, books that we have. Um, so you want to check that out at our store. That helps support the ministry as well in doing the work that you do in your sphere of influence. And that's what we always encourage people to go do. Do what God has given you to do in your sphere of influence. We want to encourage you to do that. That is what's going to make a change. Not your politician you put in in the White House or in Congress uh, or even locally. You're, you're the solution. The people are the solution here. And, uh, and that's what we encourage people to have the mindset of. Now, with that said... We're going to be covering something that I, we haven't talked about in quite a while. Uh, there's been some articles that we've we've carried on the election fraud and, and things of that nature. And I've got a, a friend of mine. I called him up the other day because I had a contact who wanted to come on and talk about Extortion 17. He'd been putting together a documentary film that he's trying to get out to Universal on the truth of extortion 17. If you don't know what that is, go to sonsoflibertymedia.com, put in extortion 17, the number 17, and read about what went on. It's the largest loss of life in the Afghan war. We lost, I think it was 17 Navy SEALs in that, um, a couple of National Guard, uh, and some other people uh, in that in that shoot-down. I mean, that's, that's what it was. It was a shoot-down of a helicopter over in Afghanistan. And Don wrote uh, a book... That's called uh, Call Sign Extortion 17, the shootdown of SEAL Team 6. And this was following, yes, where Big Mouth Biden opened up his mouth to identify it was Team uh, SEAL Team 6 that had allegedly taken out Osama bin Laden. And uh, then we also had uh, Leon Panetta, who had also mentioned that in you know an unsecure place. And within months, these guys were all killed. And so this is how I came to know Don. He lives basically right across the line here from me, and uh, we become friends. So we were talking about that, and I and Don started telling me what he was, how he was involved with some of the stuff concerning the election fraud, that he was involved with the Texas case and, and things of this nature. Now, he's an author. 
He, you can find his books at donbrownbooks.com. Uh, you can also pick them up over at Amazon. And uh, I want to welcome back to the Sons of Liberty, because it wasn't that long ago that we had Don. Uh, Don Brown to the Sons of Liberty. Good morning, man. Good morning, Tim. How are you? I'm doing great, man. And I apologize. I I, I hope I hope that you are awake. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I, I know that we were getting close to time. I didn't get a response back, and I was a little late in checking with you yesterday. But, man, I really appreciate you getting up early and uh, and being with us this morning. Now, here I'm fascinated here, Don, because you know I know you. You're an attorney. You you do some things. You're also the, an author. You write a lot of fiction books, and you've written a couple of nonfiction books. The one I just talked about with Extortion Seventeen, and I hope we'll bring you back on probably around uh, August when that uh, that anniversary comes around, so that we keep reminding people that that has not been taken care of yet. But you you told me you conveyed to me that you were involved in this process of dealing with the the court cases and things with the election fraud in 2020. And I wanted to bring you on because that you give some insight that some other people won't be able to give. And uh, so with that said, I want to turn that over to you. How did you get involved in that? I mean, did somebody contact you to do that? Were you were you part of one who initiated something in North Carolina or something like that? How did that happen? It's a very good question. And good morning, Tim. By the way, your uh, intro looks better each and every time. I'm always happy to be with you. And uh, for the record, I won't take the vaccine and I want to wear the mask. Amen. The tyrants and we'll submit to the word of God. So I, I want to be consistent with your opening. I think it's great. Amen. Uh, well, as you may know, Tim, um, and I appreciate you mentioning uh, some of the books that I've been blessed to write. The most recent one that was published is a book called uh, Travesty of Justice, The Shocking Prosecution of Lieutenant Clint Lawrence. And um, back in November of 2019, one of my clients, Lieutenant Clint Lawrence, who was a uh, paratrooper in the uh, 82nd Airborne Division, was pardoned by President Trump. Um, I had joined Clint's legal team uh, a little over a year before. I had been to Fort Leavenworth many times to visit him and some other guys who had been prosecuted under Obama's rules of engagement. Some are still there. And um, that's right. Thank you. And um, anyway, um, let me put it this way. Uh, there was some national coverage uh, with regard to that book. I was had been on Fox a few times, been on Hannity a few times. And uh, it really, to answer your question, because of the national coverage uh, that that book had gotten, um, I got a call from some from some pretty powerful media contacts in New York. And I really cannot, I'm not at liberty to reveal the name, but asking if I would um, help initially with Sidney Powell's legal team. They're assembling a legal team, uh, you know, to look into the election fraud issues with a view towards, uh, you know, filing lawsuits to seek injunctive relief um, because of some widespread uh, issues that, I'm sure your viewers may be aware of generally. And uh, one thing led to another. Next thing you know, I was also working with the, the team that uh, wound up filing the Texas suit. In other words, the, the suit filed by Ken Paxson, the attorney general of Texas in Supreme court as a uh, state v. state on a state v. state uh, jurisdictional basis, which gives the Supreme court original jurisdiction rather than having to, to go through a federal district court and then a court of appeals and depending on the Supreme court to pick the case up. So um, 
I would say not, and not just the, it wasn't just the Lawrence uh, book, Travis to Justice, also the the book that you mentioned, um, Call Sign Extortion 17, which also uh, had gotten some national, uh, you know, media coverage. So um, some folks knew me because of that and asked me to, to serve. And I did, and I'm glad I did. And, you know, I spent a number of weeks working it, uh, had it not tried, you know, at least, at least I don't have to ask myself whether I, I did all that I could to try to, to stop the steal. So long answer to your question. That's how it happened. Okay. All right. Now that that's pretty interesting how you get pulled into that. But the yeah. que- now, now the question becomes, okay, they pull you into this. What's the first stuff that you get? Because I, I'm sure you're like I am. Look, I, people know that I was very critical of President Trump, just like I'm critical of Biden, just like I was with Obama. But sure. the fact of the matter is, I believe there was election fraud. I believe that, that Donald Trump actually got votes to go back in the People's White House. I, I believe that. I believe there's been anomalies that have been demonstrated that they're, they're not, this is not the way things uh, normally occur. And so it does raise the question that there was election fraud. So I'm I'm with all the people who support the support President Trump as being the winner there. I want everybody to be clear on that. But when we're dealing with election fraud, again, this has nothing to do with the politics. This has to do with the law. And if there's fraud that's being committed, people have to be brought to justice over this. This cannot be something that you just let slide or you just say, oh, well, you've got to deal with it. So what was the first things that they approached you with as far as uh, what they wanted you to be involved in, how, you know, those those first steps that you were in, and what were the first things that you looked at as particular evidence in this case to uh, when, when you took it on? Right. Well, as you may know from some of the media coverage, uh, you know, Sidney Powell's team was dealing primarily with the issue of these ballot marking devices, and in particular the Dominion machines, uh, and so a lot of, a lot of my focus was there. It, it expanded beyond there, but that's a lot of where the focus was that I was working. I wound up working, um, three States, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Georgia interviewing witnesses on the ground at places like the TCF center and, and, uh, and helping take witness statements and affidavits and things of this nature. But Sydney was focusing largely upon the dominion issue. And as you know, now, Maybe, as you know, or your viewers know, she's been sued by the million. Rudy Giuliani has been sued by the million. I think Mike Lindell is involved. And these are much bigger names than me. But I was I was working largely there. Um, now, the issue certainly doesn't stop there. And, and to, to a large degree, uh, the Dominion issue, and, and, and by the way, Dominion is not the only uh, <clears throat> major, uh, you know, ballot marking device company or computer voting company that is involved in presidential elections. You have... Another company called uh, Heart InterCivic, and a third called ESNS. Uh, but Dominion certainly uh, came into uh, scrutiny in large part because of what happened in Antrim County, Michigan. And uh, Dominion is used 100% in Georgia. They use about 70% in Michigan. So, so my focus was was um, largely upon not only Dominion but also in taking affidavits. Um, and interviewing witnesses, and particularly in Michigan, where I spoke with a witness named Melissa Carone and others who who saw things on the ground when these uh, absentee ballots were brought in during the middle of the night. So 
uh, that's sort of the background on how I got involved and in what I was doing to a large degree. And then after that, uh, you know, there's some overlap among the teams. And next thing you know, um, <clears throat> I was brought in and very happily to be brought in onto the Texas team as well, where my job uh, was to help get various secretary and states involved as plaintiffs in the lawsuit that was filed. And a number joined uh, Ken Paxton and, uh, of course, the Supreme Court declined jurisdiction of that case. I think it was a horrible mistake. I think they basically abdicated their responsibility. And I could go into that a little bit more detail, but that's sort of what I was doing. Okay. All right. So you were interviewing a lot of people who had claims that there were there were abnormally, abnormalities there. Um, sure. And, of course, we've seen Melissa on a variety of interviews uh, that mm-hmm. she's done. We've also seen her you know, do her own uh, posts as well of what she's seen to keep that out there for the people. Um, are you convinced that what they were saying was true? Did you, besides what they said, did you find any evidence uh, besides what they said to to confirm what they were saying? Uh, besides what they said, we have uh, 1,200 affidavits. Affidavits are evidence. Okay, yep, I, I understand and, that. Exactly. And so what you have is corroboration among affidavits across the board. Uh, so, yes, there certainly is evidence of that. Um, but even before you get into um, the irregularities that happen in these large centers like the State Farm Center in um, Atlanta and the TCS Center in in Detroit, uh, you know, one of the things that pe- people wonder, you know, what was the relationship between Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and, uh, and others, uh, what Rudy's team was focusing on a simple violation of the law in and of itself, you know, taking Pennsylvania, for example, where you have, uh, you know, judges moving the Democrat Party and judges, you know, arbitrarily and unilaterally moving um, election deadlines around when the, the Pennsylvania uh, legislature has that sole authority. And when the Constitution, under both the electors or the electors clause itself, gives the state's the power, the state legislature's the power to do that. So, so Rudy was focusing upon that. So the election fraud is a multi-pronged, it's a multi-tentacled octopus, I should say. There are many, many aspects of it. So um, the corroboration among the witnesses is very, very powerful. You probably saw with your own eyes the video, for example, that, that came out uh, from the State Farm Center in Atlanta, when uh, the Republican observers and all observers were sent home and you had four uh, workers remain and continued to count and, yep. you know, all of a sudden magic, magic boxes appear under a big long table. So it isn't just the, um, the multiple corroborating affidavits, but also photographic evidence, video evidence as well, which I think will continue to emerge. Um, having said that, my focus uh, and probably what I can bring to the table a little more than hasn't been already was on the Dominion issue to a large degree. Um, but I'm absolutely you, – you say you believe the election was stolen. Somebody put a gun in my head and said pull the trigger. Uh, I'm telling you Trump won the election. And it's not, even, it's not even a debatable question in my mind based on the things that I've seen. Okay, so here's the question I have, Don. How is it that – that it doesn't seem that that this case has gotten any traction and and it's been before all kinds of judges 
mm-hmm. you know, of a political, I guess, of a political persuasion. It's been how come? Why is it not gaining any traction? And then I guess the follow up would be if it does, and things are overturned. I I, I don't know about you, but I'd like to see uh, a couple of people who are occupying the White House or wherever they're at or whatever the thing is that that they're showing up at. Uh, I'd like to see a couple of those people swinging from one of those Navy yard arms, uh, because to me, this is absolute treason. Well, you ask a great question. And uh, the question that you raise is a question uh, that not only Democrats, uh, a point that Democrats don't argue, and I'm not, I'm not saying you're arguing a Democrat talking, but it's a point that needs to be addressed. You know, why haven't the courts acted? And uh, the argument from those who want to preserve the, the 2020 election, uh, in my opinion, is a criminal enterprise, the presidential election is a criminal enterprise. So, so the, the question is kind of circular logic type thing. Why, of course, done nothing? Let me just start with the Supreme Court, okay? Um, when we filed that case, when I say we, um, when Attorney General Ken Paxson filed the uh, state to state case in the Supreme Court out of Texas, um, the Supreme Court pitched that without giving any substantive look. And let me just say that no federal court had at all has given um, this case a substantive look. In other words, uh, what I mean by that is nobody has looked at uh, uh, Melissa Carone's affidavit. Nobody has looked at Lisa Gage's affidavit. No court has looked at the video that we've all seen with our own eyes uh, that came out of the of the uh, of the State Farm arena. No court has looked at photographs of and, and video of you know panel trusts coming up in the middle of the night in Detroit unloading absentee ballots. No court has looked at the substantive issue of failure to verify uh, signature ballots in Georgia. Nobody has looked at the case on the merits. Nobody has looked at the beef and the burger. Not one. They have all advocated their responsibility, and they pitch these cases generally, you know, in the old days, you used to, most people call it on a technicality. Uh, I, I say technicality because most, most folks have heard, are kind of familiar with that term. But the technicality used in this instance is something called standing. So, you know, the Supreme Court says, you know, they don't have standing to hear this case. In other words, they don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. It's too hot of a nuclear potato. And so when the Texas case was filed, and, and much greater legal minds than me have, have supported what I'm about to tell you, including uh, former solicitor and Judge Ken Starr, and, uh, and the Texas case also was, was uh, the brainchild to a large degree of the former Chief Justice of the North Carolina Supreme Court, Mark Martin, who's who is now the dean of the law school at Liberty, excuse me, Regent University. Um, the theory of standing was based upon the Supreme Court's own language in the case of Bush versus Gore from 2000. In other words, standing is the ability for the court to hear the darn thing to begin with. And standing means that the party bringing the action has been harmed in some way. And here's the way the Supreme Court justified hearing the Bush v. Gore case in 2000. The Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment and the 5th Amendment. And and, uh, the court's reasoning in Bush v. Gore was this. Well, if you have different uh, standards 
for counting votes in different counties within the same state, then that is a violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Why? Because uh, if you know if you're in York County and uh, and I'm in another South Carolina, let's say let's say Lancaster County. Okay, I'll use two South Carolina counties because you're in South Carolina, Tim. So if you're in York County and I'm in South Carolina and I'm in Lancaster County, and the York County Board of Elections is giving you an opportunity, you know, recounting your vote, you know, 15, 20 times, like they were trying to do in Palm Beach, Florida, until they got enough votes to put board atop. But if I'm in Chester County or Lancaster County, and my votes are not getting recounted to make sure that mine are exactly right, well, then differing standards are applying, and there's a violation of equal protection because I'm getting a different level of protection than you are. So that is the basis for standing to hear Bush versus Gore in 2020, in the year 2000. So in 2020, when we filed the Texas complaint before the U.S. Supreme Court, we certainly cited and relied upon that to a large degree. We didn't need to do that exactly because the Constitution um, at Article 3 allows for what we call original jurisdiction for cases brought by one state versus the other. That got us in the door of the court. But the, the harm is this. Within the state of Pennsylvania, much like what was going on in Florida, you're having, and it was alleged, that differing standards were applying within the counties of Pennsylvania. You know, in Philadelphia, they were applying different standards versus other counties, say that were Republican counties throughout the state. And not only that, but differing standards were applying or applied among the states because some states were following state law and others were not. But Supreme Court, when it could have and should have, picked the case up, the case up and dealt with it on the merits, pitched it. Now, and, and by the way, virtually every other of the 60-some-odd cases that were filed were dismissed upon standing without dealing with the case on the merits. In Florida, excuse me, in Georgia, for example, cases were filed uh, by, by Lynn Wood, as a matter of fact, in which um, the, uh, the federal judge said, well, you know, you're too late. You should have, uh, you should have challenged these things earlier, you know, uh, uh, and now it's too late to have them challenged. And Lynn turns around and files another lawsuit to challenge the U.S. Senate race that subsequently occurred in the runoff. And the judges say, well, you know, you're, you're, the case is moot, it's premature, so they're changing the argument around uh, to pitch the case because they simply don't want to deal with it. It is too nuclear of a hot potato. Uh, you know, I mean, we know, for example, and I, I can go into this in a second, but we know that there was skimming of votes. And I'm not just accusing Dominion. I'm, I'm saying because we don't know that it was all Dominion. But we do know that all night long, the computer votes were skimmed away from Trump and were, uh, you know, given to Biden. And so if the courts, you know, if they had dealt with issues on the merits, which they did not, they've advocated their responsibility. We have seen a colossal failure of responsibility by all three branches of the United States government in, in this case and in other cases, but especially here. I've lost total confidence in all of them. But if the courts had done their daggone job and if they had, dealt with the issues on the merits, then the things that I'm talking about here right now, uh, you know, Lisa Gage's 
statement, Melissa Carone's statement, other statements would have been dealt with before a court of law to determine the extent of what happened uh, in the 2020 presidential election. The court's advocate response did not do it. Now, if you're asking me why, I can speculate. Uh, I mean, I, I know, let me just say this, and, and, and I cannot say everything on the air. I wish that I could, but I know uh, that, that one of the members of the Texas teams was, was threatened by a high official in the United States government via phone call. And um, for security reasons, I can't tell you who, but I can, I can tell you that I know that happened. I know that there has been, there have been threats. And I, and I believe that probably um, John Roberts was concerned about Black Lives Matter and Antifa marching the streets and burning the streets down. And I think that's why I can't say for sure, but I believe that's why that no court wanted to touch it in any timely manner in any substantive matter where they had a chance. Uh, we're in a different political environment now than we were even in 2020. Hmm. Nobody was going to, excuse me, that in 2000, nobody was going to burn down uh, Kenosha or Minneapolis or, you know, uh, pick your city, Detroit, uh, Washington, D.C., New York. In, 20, in the year 2000, when the Supreme Court stepped in and resolved the case in a manner in which George W. Bush was inaugurated as opposed to Al Gore. But we're in a different environment now. And I think they advocated their constitutional legal responsibilities because of cowardice. That's my opinion. Yeah, you, <clears throat> you've said a lot of things there. And boy, I, I some of it gets my blood boiling when people talk about, oh, well, they were worried about Antifa or they were worried about this person yeah. or that. You know what? Let me give a couple of things here first and then get your reaction to it uh, based on what you've seen there. You talk about the courts not taking it because it's a hot potato. Uh, it's their job to take hot potatoes. They're to judge the law. And sometimes that's going to be controversial things that they're having to judge. The Supreme Court especially to sit here and say, oh, we don't want to touch this because of whatever the political ramifications or even the, the city ramifications is. And this is why I say that the people are going to have to take their duty seriously, according to the Constitution, for a militia. And I'm not talking about you know, going out and being vigilantes. I'm talking about being open, being out in the open, um, having your officers, being regular, training, knowing what your job is it, to enforce the law. That's the first thing. And then let them off the chain on Antifa. Let them off the chain on BLM. Put that stuff down. It's insurrection, guys, and the Constitution speaks about that. That's Article 1, Section uh, 8, Clause 15. It is the job of the militia to be the law enforcer, not the police, because the Supreme Court's already ruled that police don't even have the duty to protect you, okay, in, in a situation. But the militia, they have the duty. They have the duty, the constitutional duty, to enforce the law, to put down insurrections and to repel invasions. The other thing is, in Article 3, we read this, and this is about the judicial powers of the United States. They shall be invested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts as the Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. The judges, both of the Supreme and inferior courts, shall hold their offices during good behavior. Now, right before this came, the president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Now, I, I don't know, and then later on we go back to Article 1, Section 3, and we find that we can prosecute them once we remove them. But I don't know, Don. It sounds to me like 
you're onto something. Either people were bribed or people were pushed into a state of political fear where they would not act. And so therefore, in my opinion, they've committed a crime against the people by not doing the job that they're put there to do. And so therefore, they should be removed from office. We should be having uh, some people in Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia. What was the other one up there? Did Ohio have that as well? The, the, the big four were, were Georgia, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, yeah, that's one. Michigan. Yep. And then yep. we have Nevada and uh, Arizona, and I've not focused on those states as much. Um, but those are, those are the ones that swung, those four states uh, primarily swung the election uh, around the other way. You know, I've, I put, um, I wish I, I've got a PowerPoint. If I could pop it up, I could show you some things. But, uh, you, you know, you have Joe Biden who is alleged to have received 81 million votes, okay? Never came out of his basement, uh, could not, is about, a pop, is about as popular as a creosote pole, uh, could not draw yep. a half a dozen people into a parking lot, an asphalt parking lot if he tried for a political rally, has no charisma, had no platform, um, would, would hide the ball when asked specific questions on issues such as court packing, we were supposed to believe he received 81 million votes. Um, he, he won, if you believe the deep state's narrative, he received 81 million votes. So one, I believe the count is 470-some counties. I've got that on the graphic on the PowerPoint. Uh, he, he won half the number of counties that his mentor, Barack Obama, won, if you believe the deep state, the deep state narrative. He won 12 million more votes than his much more popular and charismatic mentor Barack Obama won, if you believe the deep state narrative. He won more votes than anyone in presidential election history. And even if you believe the deep state narrative, uh, Trump was at 75 million, I believe, 77 million, 75 million. Uh, Trump, but even if you swallow the deep state narrative, receive more votes than any sitting president in American history. Yep. Um, and so the numbers like the robot used to sit on lost in space, it does not compute, you know, Trump wins, Biden wins, as I recall, 470 some counties, uh, 450 counties or so Trump wins 2,500 counties. I've got the numbers uh, in my notes over 2000 counties more in the United States Trump wins and Biden, and yet we're supposed to swallow this thing that uh, in these four states, all of whom have uh, one common denominator with large, blue, urban, Democrat, uh, corrupt political machines, uh, has legitimately won the election. The um, What I've heard from people with an ear and I hadn't, these numbers I've not seen that I'm going to tell you, but I have heard uh, that uh, from pe- people who have seen the numbers that uh, Trump actually received more than 80 million votes and Biden was in the 50 million range, which I can believe that rings true based on what we know. Yeah. But I have not seen those numbers. I have seen other numbers. But, um, but for, the, uh, for the courts not to touch this, and you touched upon it, there is a response. There is a constitutional responsibility to hear these cases. And when, you know, with the Supreme Court, uh, you know, now you have most of the country. I mean, people say half the country. People say 70 million Trump voters. No, more than that. 
uh, who are rapidly losing faith in the system because, I mean, if there's an indictment here, it's against the courts because we haven't even gotten a fair hearing on the merits about any of this. A friend of mine, Ray Smith, was the attorney for the Trump legal team in Atlanta, and I've talked to him on a number of occasions. Sharp guy, I've known him for many years. Uh, went, we were in the same school, undergraduate together years ago. Uh, he tells me that in Georgia alone, okay, in Georgia alone, before you even get to the Dominion issue, and then beyond that, before you get to the issue of, um, uh, you know, uh, these fraudulent absentee ballots that were picked out of Soros, the Bill Gates-funded drop boxes, excuse me, before you even get to that, there are over 100 ballots that under the law in Georgia should have been disqualified, uh, not necessarily on fraud. See, people, the phrase election fraud is a very, very broad phrase. But over 100,000 ballots should have, been, should have been disqualified on stuff like, you know, out-of-state voters voting in Georgia or people moving from one county to the other not properly registering in Georgia or a number of or dead people voting in Georgia or uh, a lot of young people registering too early to vote, but yet we're still allowed to vote in Georgia. Over 100,000 before you even, and those votes should have been disqualified before we even look at the issue of what was going with the Dominion machines and before we look at the issue of these, you know, of the vote fairy showing up, as I call, as I call the vote fairy showing up at two and three in the morning with, with massive switches occurring. And so it is absolutely maddening. You can't even get a hearing on that in Georgia. Now, you know, Brian Kemp advocated his responsibility. He should have used uh, all the influence he could have used to have called the Georgia legislature back in the session. Uh, there were probably the votes to have done something about it when there was time to do it. But we've had a failure. It isn't just ju the judiciary, although the failure starts with the judiciary. But the judiciary's failure is what perpetuated the cowardice of people like Brian Kemp and others who, uh, who refused to take action in the face of very clear violation of the laws in their own state. Um, with Raffelsberger signing a contract with Dominion, I mean, the, uh, the, the shady dealings are deeper than you can imagine. But I agree with your assessment. I mean, you know, we, we it's we the people, you know, and, and uh, it isn't, you, you know, uh, we, we have seen nothing but total abdication and failure by every branch, by every branch of the federal government. And it's come into focus uh, during uh, this past election cycle. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? Well, yeah, and I think that is I think that is the issue. Let me let me bring something else to the table here uh, that some people are not aware of that they continue to be need to be reminded of, and that is these forty five goals for the communist takeover of America that were put into the congressional record what fifty sixty years ago now. Look at some of these things that are part of that. Number sixteen was use technical decisions of the courts to weaken basic American institutions by claiming their activities violate civil rights. Um, we, we go down into some other things. Um, uh, I was looking at, at several of these. Infiltrate the press. Of course, we, we can, I think most, I think the majority of people who listen to this show already understand that, that there's an infiltration of the press. Um, gain control of key positions in radio, TV, and motion pictures. They're driving the narrative 
away from whatever the truth is in this matter uh, to sort of poo-poo anybody who questions the validity of the 2020 election. Um, and I got to tell you, Don, I, I, I come to this thing of, you know, presidents aren't elected, they're selected kind of thing. Uh, I, I do believe there's a lot that takes place there. And, you know, I've often asked people, even with Trump, I said, you know, he said it was rigged in 2016 and he won. And, but in 2020, he lost. And it, I got to tell you, it messes with your mind when you think about it. But I do believe you when you're saying there's all these uh, votes that, for tr- that were for Trump. I've said it from the start. I haven't changed my position on that for people who might think, you know, you, you were real critical. You don't like Trump. And then, No, we point back to the law. Whenever we were critical, it was about the law. It was about whether he was following the law, whether he was following the standard of what the Bible said. That's always what it's been. The same thing for Biden that we apply to him. Same thing we apply to, apply to Obama. And so the question then becomes what you're saying there, what are the people going to do? Okay, well, I can tell you what it tells us to do in the con- in the Constitution. These judges in these respective states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, um, Georgia, and there was the other one, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. <laughs> trying to keep mm-hmm. up with all of them this morning. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these judges who will not take the cases, and I'll say even to the Supreme Court, because they can be impeached too, folks. They're not there for life. They can be impeached. They fall under the same Constitution that these other judges do. You need to organize in your states against these judges and to have them impeached. And then when you remove them from their bench, the thing that they're so scared of losing, okay, that they won't, that they won't hear it for the people, then you need to seek prosecution. And you know what, Don? I, I mean what I say when I say a jail cell is not good enough for a traitor. They need to die a traitor's death in the public square, and that sounds harsh, but it's so other so other judges will learn not to do what they're doing. And if people think, well, they're just scared of what a... Okay, read Revelation 21. You'll find out cowards are the first people in the lake of fire. The cowardly and unbelieving, those are the people found there. And so when we have people doing this to us by their action or inaction, by their cowardice or whatever the case may be, they have to be dealt with, and they have to be dealt with publicly. But there's a process in doing that, and the people have to get behind this, Don. They're going to have to start dealing with it at the local level uh, in, in their particular states, these judges who were involved in this, who wouldn't lay a finger on it, who said, no, 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 this isn't my job, or, oh, I don't want to touch this because it's a hot potato, or whatever the case may be. They've got to get those people out. They've got to kick them out on their fanny, and then they've got to start prosecuting them and, uh, and put in judges who actually believe the law and will stand up for the people. Well, and, uh, and to touch on that, the uh, First Amendment, one of the five fundamental rights is the right uh, to petition the government for redress of grievances. And I remind people all the time, the judicial branch is part of the government. You know, there's, there's a, you know, the press and the judiciary seem to want to think they are above criticism. Not so. Both the press and the judiciary are subject to criticism just as much as any other branch of government in the case of the judiciary. So I agree with you. And, and the, uh, the, the front's got to be at the local level. It's got to percolate up from the bottom, from the grassroots. We're not. It ain't going to. Per, solution is not going to percolate. It's not going to percolate down for Washington. You said a minute ago that uh, you know presidents aren't elected. Um, let me just give you an example in the Dominion issue. 
you know, uh, in 2019, um, there was a lawsuit in Georgia filed. Actually, the lawsuit was filed in 2018 in, in Atlanta against the Georgia Secretary of State Raffensperger because of uh, some of these machines that have been used in Georgia, these ballot marking devices. Uh, in 2019, Raffensperger put, uh, who's the Georgia Secretary of State, by the way, and is your is your educated viewers know? I know I say that because your viewers are more educated than most audiences, uh, and self education is the reason that's important. But so, as your viewers may know, secretaries of state in various states are generally in charge of the election process in that state. So Raffelsberger, after Brian Kemp had been secretary of state um, and had a relationship with Dominion, uh, signed a contract to put these Dominion machines in every county in the state of Georgia. Now, your, your, y'all, your um, audience certainly has heard about Dominion. The influence in Dominion varies from state to state. In Michigan, they're in about 70% of the counties. In Georgia, they're now 100% of the counties. Talk about questionable incestuous relationships. Dominion had hired Brian Kemp's former chief of staff, as I recall, Dominion had hired the former national spokesperson for the National Association of Secretary of States to be its marketing director. In other words, they hired that lady to be their marketing director and as a vice president to get them inroads with these secretaries of state around the country to get these contracts. Dominion had hired also the former Georgia Secretary of State, a Democrat, paying a big bucks. So you have you have a what's going on here question, which would never have been revealed had it not been for this election. So in 2018, a group called the Citizens for Good Governance, I believe, which is a 501c3, a nonprofit, files a lawsuit against Raffensperger because of the lack of reliability of these machines. Raffensperger, in response, signs a contract with Dominion and puts Dominion in every county the lawsuit expands to seek a federal judge to block the use of the Dominion machines in Georgia. This case is called Curling, C-U-R-L-I-N-G, versus Raffelsberger. You can look it up. You can find it. Google it yourself. What I'm telling you was never brought out in any of the national media or really in any discussion at all concerning what happened in Georgia as a background. These machines are put into Georgia, and they are used for the first time in the 2020 U.S. Senate <clears throat> primary. And there are something like 20 candidates in Georgia trying to run for the Senate, the, the, uh, the seats that the two communists wound up taking, uh, Warnock and Orsloff, or whatever his name is. And there is a colossal failure in that 2020 uh, uh, primary. There are instances where machines are not working. There are instances in these ballot marking devices where candidates' names don't show up. Um, and that spurs additional litigation against Dominion. So uh, Curling, Susan Curling, I believe her first name is Susan, she was a Georgia elector, but this Citizens for Good Governance, and I'm hoping I'm giving the name right, but if you look up the lawsuit, you can see it. They're like a, a nonprofit who are concerned about simply 
about the election integrity in Georgia, and this is prior to the 2020 presidential election. All right. So a massive lawsuit is underway that goes on in which depositions are taken and expert witnesses come forward. The plaintiffs, representing the Citizens for Good Governance, bring in a data scientist from the University of Michigan named Dr. Haldeman, sort of like the same name from H.R. Haldeman back in the Watergate days, but not exactly. I think it's Haldeman. Uh, at any rate, uh, he gives he and others uh, give uh, sweeping testimony of how easily these machines can be attacked and manipulated. Now, Dominion then, as its principal expert, uh, brings in a guy uh, who is an Dominion employee named Eric Coomer. Remember that name, Doctor Eric Coomer, who basically says nothing wrong with my nothing wrong with our machines. Okay, uh, Coomer, uh, maybe some of your uh, astute listeners and viewers have heard that name, but he defends the Dominion machines. Well, the judge in this case is a federal judge named Judge Amy Totenberg, an Obama appointee, a Democrat, who is the sister of the well-known, uh, I think, NPR correspondent now, Nina Totenberg. After hearing all this evidence, Judge Totenberg looks at it, and she, de- she declines to issue an injunction to block Dominion from being used in the 2020 Georgia presidential election, okay? She declines to do that because she says it is too late and to do that will be too disruptive. Well, I disagree with that decision. That's her rationale. But above and beyond that, she chews Dominion and Brad Raffelsberger a new you-know-what. I won't say, you know, I won't use right. Navy vernacular, although the words bouncing between <laughs> my diminutive cranium up here. She chews a new, a new you know what hole. Basically says, basically fi- makes findings, and I can send you her findings that the Dominion machines cannot do not provide any means of accurate accounting that they can easily be manipulated externally, either intentionally or or accidentally that the machines and the use of these machines are basically a travesty to the public's confidence in secure and fair elections in Georgia and orders Dominion or suggests that Dominion and Mr. Rafflesberger get together after the election to provide some sort of ballot marking devices or machines that are more reliable and can be audited. So she makes a finding that cannot be audited. Okay. It makes a finding they're not reliable. This is a Democrat judge. You say, uh, you know, presidents are elected and not selected, and I don't disagree with you. I'll add to that. In addition to this clear finding by Georgia, you know, judge who overheard a a very intensive lawsuit on the reliability and the subject of manipulating Dominion machines. And by the way, I'll come back to it in a second, but Dominion upgraded software twice in Georgia prior to the presidential election. We don't know what they did. I'll come back to that. I'll come back to Dr. Coomer in a second. But in addition to that, in 2019, there was a letter written um, by Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, Ron Wyden, uh, excuse me, not Wyden, who I'm, I think it was Wyden. There were three Democrat U.S. senators who wrote 
um, staple capital management and other private equity firms about these Dominion machines, okay? Um, staple capital, Dominion, first off, is a Canadian corporation. The company was founded in Canada. Uh, they're a foreign corporation. They're the manufacturer of these machines that are so integrally involved in selecting the president of the United States. They do have a domestic office now in Denver to make things look good, but they're a Canadian corporation. The corporation was sold to a venture capitalist called Staple Capital, and then there's a chain of ownership which winds up in China. But as I mentioned to you when we spoke about this on the phone, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit trail because we don't need to do it and it's distracting. But these U.S. senators wrote letters to a number of private equity firms who have stakes in these three big companies, Dominion, ESS, and Hart InterCivic, that are primarily involved in the selection of the President of the United States. We've gotten so far away from electors doing their jobs, it's, it's, it's kind of a joke. But raising questions about the instability of these machines, uh, the lack of reliability, uh, citing actual factual examples in states like Indiana and, uh, and, and others, where in Missouri and others, where the machine in South Carolina, by the way, Tim, where um, the machines had frozen up, where they had not been reliable, they cited samples uh, in your home state, the great Pal the great uh, Palmetto State of South Carolina, in which uh, you know machines had we'd seen vote switching in machines. Cited those examples. Well, so you, you think, well, why would Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar be concerned about this? goes back to what you say. Presidents are elected and not selected. Think about what happened to poor Bernie Sanders, you know, when he tried to run against Hillary. And and, and again, in, in 2016, again, in, two, in 2020. Yeah. Don, Warren, Don can, can you hang on? Can you hang on a second? And it's selected, not elected, because there you can obviously see the manipulation there. We're, we're coming up against the end of the show. Can you hang on with us for a few minutes and yes, continue sir. your thought? Okay, we're going to hold on with Don Brown. Don, tell people, you got about 30 seconds. Tell people where they can find out more about you. Yeah, sure. You can go to, um, to my website at donbrownbooks.com. You can find me uh, on Twitter at donbrownbooks. Uh, you can find me on uh, Facebook as well. I'm still there. Uh, I haven't pulled the plug yet, but uh, <laughs> you can find me there as well at Don Brown Books. Uh, my email is donbrownbooks at gmail.com. You want to write? I'm happy to correspond with readers and listeners. So, okay, um, very very happy to do that. All right, Don, we appreciate your time, guys. On Red State Talk Radio, jump over on uh, SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Scroll on the right. Jump on with us for the final few minutes. We're going to have Don with us this morning. Tomorrow morning, eight o'clock, we're going to have the T2K show. Kate Shimarani will be with us. Dr. Kevin Corbett, and we're going to have special guest D. Manny Mitchell. You don't want to miss it. See ya. All right, we want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. Don, I really appreciate you staying over with us um, to continue this for a few minutes. I, I promise I won't keep you long. But, you know, one of the things that you're talking about, you keep mentioning all these companies. One, and I don't want to flood you with too many comments here, but uh, one thing is that the the foreign influence of these companies, that's something that I'm I'm curious about. The other part is... You know, back in 2000, I think it was in 2006, there was a guy by the name of Eugene Clint Curtis. Mm -hmm. uh, this guy was an American attorney. He was a computer programmer and an ex-employee of NASA and ExxonMobil. So he's not just some guy, you know, in his mama's basement, 
you know, playing around on his computer. Um, and what he did was he offered testimony there in Ohio of what the machines could do. And he said, I can basically go in and I can flip a result, election result from 49% to 51% and nobody would know and they wouldn't know anybody had done anything. He said, it's, I, can, I can write a software program that will demonstrate this. The obvious question to me, you know, we, we've heard of ballot box stuffing. That's one thing. You've got to do a lot of work to do that. When you go into this electronic voting stuff, to me, it seems like the stupidest thing in the world that people would allow for in their voting procedures because you don't have to you know, make up all these fake paper ballots. You don't have to do all this stuff. You don't have to sneak them in there, even though we're seeing some of the, the, the videos like you mentioned before. All those kinds of things. And um, you, you would do away with that. Somebody in the chat said that uh, Mike Lindell, um, his absolute proof video, had a lady near the end who had talked about IP, um, What were, I forget what the word was that they use, intrusions uh, into some of these voting machines during the voting and and even maybe even after i'm not sure but it seems to and these were these were foreign intrusions they weren't coming from america at all and of course we're told by people like dominion oh we had some software updates and stuff like this well wait a minute even if you're going to use those one they shouldn't be connected to the internet and two you shouldn't be messing with them at all during that time I, I just I find this whole thing, and I know paper ballots are old school, but at least with the paper ballots, you have a trail, and you can follow that. With the with even with these other ones, it seems like there's a manipulation that can take place. Somebody said, "Well, we could vote, and then they could send us a letter saying thank you, and that validates." Well, but even that, when you start going through the process of everything else, how are they then going to compare that when they've already manipulated the the data? And they could just say what they're saying now. Oh, well, we had a little malfunction there, this, that, and the other. I think the issue is that we got to go. We got to start going back to paper ballots, and then the people are going to have to just keep and uh, be a hawkeye on that. And if somebody comes in at four in the morning saying, "No, no, no, you're not bringing that," in here, you can just go ahead and throw that in the trash, as far as we're concerned. You know, Tim, um, I've spoken several times since the election to local groups around the Charlotte Metro area. And matter of fact, I was uh, spoke to a Republican group and. Uh, York County, right there where you are, um, earlier this week or last week. And uh, there are four things here, first off. Uh, for, first off, th- listen, um, let, let me just say as far as these machines, that the, the, they can be manipulated is not even a question. Um, and they can be manipulated, uh, especially if they're on the Internet, easily. And we have seen, you know, maybe you saw that night, uh, probably did uh, these famous screenshots of CNN and other places where we're seeing vote switches in front of our own eyes. Yep, I've, I've yep. got files on that as well. So it's not imagined. And so what happens is these, um, we discovered that if you go in and use a computer ballot marking device, you punch the name of the computer and whatever system you have, the system may vary a little bit, but generally there's a trail that that vote is supposed to go first to the local precinct, then to the state, the county, and the state precinct, and from there it goes to a, a research firm in New Jersey called Edison Research. Uh, and Edison Research collects all this data in real time, and then feeds it down to the New York Times. 
which serves as a central repository for all their media outlets, just the way the system works. Then New York Times feeds the data in real time to whether you're watching CNN, NBC, MSNBC, or whatever. So what we are seeing in front of our eyes on election night are the immediate results, for the most part, from these ballot marking devices. And, you know, we've seen switches. Uh, We had the data science team, for example, to pull data from the New York Times, okay? And so that data team could actually look minute by minute at what the votes were in these various states. In Pennsylvania, for example, we would see Trump. Trump's got 1.2 million, 1.3 million, 1.4 million, 1.5 million. The next thing you know, he's down to 1.3 million again. So they were shaving votes off of Trump's total all night long. And we have seen hard numbers. We know that nationally, uh, with these ballot marking devices and not just Dominion, and by the way, for the record, I'm not accusing Dominion of deliberate manipulation. I have my thoughts on it, but I'm telling you the results from these ballot marking devices are votes skimmed from Trump all night long. Even still, he won if you look at the ballot marking devices machines alone. Okay, Uh, He won, and that's why they had to go to Plan B and bring in fraudulent uh, you know, absentee ballots in these four major metropolitan areas, which goes back to your point on paper ballots. And I argue that there are several things we have to be vigilant about, and it's got to start at the local level. One, eliminate these machines and go to paper ballots. That's one. Um, it might take, it might be more cumbersome. I'd rather it be more cumbersome <clears throat> than be wrong. Amen. Okay. And I, even if you were to give Dominion, Hartner, Civic, ESNS, the benefit of the doubt. The fact of the matter is we saw votes which is in front of our own eyes of the product of their handiwork. We saw it on television. And that is in and of itself is enough to and boom, the, the famous one in 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 uh in Pennsylvania over a 32nd period, we saw twenty thousand votes switched from Trump to Biden in a perfect flip. That's just one of many examples. Number two, in my opinion, we have to not expand early voting, but push back on it. I mean, the Democrats, if they had their way, uh, and this is one bonehead idea even that Ross Perot had, you know, you vote from the Internet. No, you don't, because it totally destroys any semblance of any type of election security at all. In my opinion, this is my opinion, you may agree or disagree, I would push back on early voting. I push it back to one day, to election day, as it should be. And if there's going to be an absentee vote, there's got to be a good reason for it. Number three, we have to insist upon voter ID in every state. That may not be a problem in some states, maybe like South Carolina, but right across the border in North Carolina, the people in North Carolina voted by referendum to institute uh, voter ID. And the state of North Carolina has... has uh, Excuse me. The federal judges, Obama appointees, have stepped in and struck it down as being unconstitutional. We have to insist upon voter ID. It's got well, to happen. Don, give me no debate. Let me, and let, me, let, me interject, thing, let me interject something on what you just said. So what if those judges did it? Let them come enforce it. The people have spoken on that. It's not unconstitutional to require that a person uh, demonstrate they are they are eligible to vote. 
and and let the let the state and the people tell the the judges to go go take a flying leap and then start working to do what I just talked about get those judges out and start prosecuting them for their crimes against the people i this is not hard to me if if a guy comes up uh, if he's a police chief if he comes up and he says you can't be doing this and it's perfectly lawful for you to do. It looks to me like the people don't sit down and say, oh, yes, sir, we, we'll just do that. No, no, no. You go and you go to the city council and you start running that guy out of town. Uh, you get him out of that, that position. I don't understand why we don't treat the judges like this when they give really bad uh, lawless rulings there. I, I just I don't understand that. Is it, we, we, are the people just don't have the courage to do it? Well, we've gotten to the point that we're letting judges, federal and otherwise, uh, kind of uh, get away with almost, I mean this in a, a figurative sense, but bloody murder when it t- comes to, to you know, abusing the Constitution. You go back, for example, to the beginning of the Trump administration when Trump signs a travel ban from certain Middle Eastern countries, uh, which he has the authority to do because Congress delegated that authority under the Immigration Naturalization Act to the president to be able to do that. But then you have a federal judge like Judge Robarts out in Washington State or Judge Watson, federal judges uh, in in Hawaii, who strike that down. And those judges do not have the authority to do that under Article 3. And, uh, and Trump, you know, I, I kind of blame Trump for this. He let him get away with it. Well, yeah, that's what I say. Right. Yeah, and, you I- know, yeah, right, and here's the question I raise on that hypothetical: what, What's Trump going to do? What does he do, or what does any president do? You know, you know, the Middle East blows up. Uh, you know, we have have an embassy under siege in in Baghdad or somewhere, and he wants to send the USS Nimitz out of San Diego, and some liberal group files a lawsuit in front of a liberal judge to block the Nimitz from sailing because it's. You know, it's gonna it's gonna affect the whales or whatever, and so so a liberal judge blocks the president from trying to as commander in chief from ordering the limits or any other warship to sail out of out of port. What are you gonna do? You gonna you gonna appeal that to the Ninth Circuit and appeal that to the Supreme Court also? Are you gonna let them get away with with blatant unconstitutional rulings? That's what's happened. Well, I think that and, I uh, think that's it, Don. I, I and I think this is the thing that I see in this is that everybody's willing to let these courts just do as they will, uh, to be little tyrants, to, to say they'll take this or they won't take that, we'll hear this, we won't hear that, and all this other kind of stuff, instead of adhering to the law. And I'm with you. I, when all that stuff went down, I'm like, okay, you have the authority to do that. Right. Tell the judge, come enforce your thing, enforce your, your ruling there. We're going to go ahead and do what we're already authorized to do. I, I I had no problem with that. I wrote on that. I said, I don't know why that's not happening uh, unless you've put deep state people in your cabinet, which Trump did. Uh, he, did. You know, he told us he was going to drain the swamp, and he didn't. So a lot of that I, is just what you said. The blame falls right back there. The buck stops there. It's not the judges because he could have just told them to take a flying leap because of the fact he was being constitutional in that. Right. So and the, notion, the notion that any federal, a single federal judge, and there are 400, some of them have the authority to block the executive uh, functions of the presidency is ridiculous. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, you, you hit on a good point. Uh, and you, I guess you're probably uh, referencing my point about North Carolina, where there is a referendum for yes. voter yep. ID yep. and a federal judge up in Asheville, an Obama appointee, just struck it down as being 
quote unquote, a violation of equal protection, which is ridiculous. Uh, and the fourth point, um, I, I was mentioning the four points that we got to stick to. The fourth point is we have to insist upon uh, verification of signature ballots. And when there's going to be an absentee ballot cast, which should be the vast exception to the rule. And as you know, as a student of the Constitution, the Constitution is not suspended in times of a so-called pandemic. That's right. But if there's going to be an absentee ballot cast, the signature of verification uh, must be proven, in my opinion, beyond a reasonable doubt by the voter in order to to protect the process. So you go back, you've got to have voter ID. You've got to shorten or eliminate early voting. Uh, we have to eliminate, in my opinion, these computer voting machines. And we have to insist upon signature verification. Those are the four um, points of insistence that cannot be compromised upon, in my opinion, in order to reduce and attempt to eliminate the fraud. So, uh, and the people have to take it, we have to take it in our hands one way or the other. We've got to. And, you know, what's happened with, the, with these federal courts over the years, going back to Marbury versus Madison, they've, they've uh, you know, taken power they really don't have uh, and exerted power they really don't have and have pushed a narrative very similar to the media narrative I mentioned in the first segment, that somehow they're above reproach, criticism, or pushback when they're not. Um, you know, I mean, we, we know that Lincoln had many, many flaws, and, uh, and, and I understand that. One thing he did do, though, is when uh, Chief Justice uh, Roger Taney ordered him to produce uh, Marimon, uh, who has been held at Fort McHenry on a habeas corpus, Lincoln ignored the habeas corpus order from the Supreme Court at that time. It had five members on it. Uh, I, I cite that sent that that as a, as a precedent on how Trump could have ignored Judge uh, Robart's order and say and said we're going to we're going to force the travel ban anyway because you don't have the authority under the Constitution to step into matters of of uh, of national immigration policy, which was clearly vested to the Congress, and in this case the travel ban was uh, de- delegated to the executive through the Immigra- Immigration Naturalization Act. The courts are not given authority for that. So, um, and I think I'm having a little bit of a connection problem here, Tim. But anyway, we we can uh, hear you fine. Okay, okay, that's yep. fine. So, uh, so anyway, um, that's what we've got to do. We've got to assist on four points, and we and we've got to rally at a local level and understand we're not going to get uh, we're not going to get level we're not going to get relief from the national federal government. I believe that uh, there still is an opportunity to elect and to insist that we put Constitution first candidates on ballots. You know, are we going to support the Constitution first and foremost and the rule of law? And, and, and even though they have successfully manipulated and stolen a presidential election, in my opinion, uh, I think it's much more difficult to do that in thousands and thousands and thousands of local elections around the country. Um, it's simply harder to do that. There isn't the focus on the local elections, but it starts at the local level. And that's, we got to do it locally and the people have got to speak and make enough noise. that These people become uncomfortable. I agree with that. Let's close out the show here. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about that justice and righteousness are a part of God's character. 
I think this is what people want to see. What you know, whether they agree with me or not, whether I agree with them is irrelevant on this particular issue. But justice and righteousness is what we're seeking in all of this. And when we're dealing with this issue of election fraud, again, the, the Bible's clear about that too. God calls, and this is a part of unjust weights and measurements too, folks. When they can manipulate votes uh, for this kind of thing, this is this ties right in with that whole kind of scheme. And God calls that an abomination, and the people should be opposed to it, and they should stand up against it. And Don, you know, we're we're calling people more and more get involved at that local level. Get involved at that local level. There are some judges in these states that need to be impeached. They need to be removed from office and then prosecuted because they have not been doing their jobs uh, for 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 the people in that state. And so the people have to get busy on that. That's the first thing. You're talking about getting uh, constitutional people on the uh, ballot. Boy, that's that's a real undertaking right there, I can tell you that. Uh, because yeah. when you get them, they often can't come in one of these two-party systems. They're, they're, they're somewhere else, and then nobody ever hears of them. And this is why we were bringing some of the guys on from the Constitution Party who actually had constitutional answers for what we're dealing with right now, and some of them have even served. And so I'm with you on that, but this is going to take the people. It's going to take an educated people and them winning other people to their their point of view and then getting them out of the fear of voting out, in my opinion, and voting out of the two corrupt parties because there are few and far between in those parties, and John Adams warned us about it as being a great evil, uh, that are compromised men or compromised women in some cases. And so I think we do have to do that. Let me ask you one final question, and then we'll close out the show here. Do you see this thing being changed over the course of the next few months or or whatever? I mean, do you see any headway? That Do you see an opening, a light at the tunnel, as it were? Because I got to tell you, I got some yahoos on a particular site that write some of the most outrageous stories about Trump is still president, Trump is coming back. Somebody put up a, a video from him at landing in Florida for Christmas and saying, he just landed, uh, he's coming back in a blaze of glory, and he just landed in Air Force One. Now, you and I both know that would be national news if that happened. It wasn't. I called the guy out. He didn't have the courtesy to respond. But we're hearing stuff like that from from a lot of this, I don't know, psyop kind of news people, if you can call it that. Do you see any light at the tunnel over this issue? I mean, you, you've seen evidence, but do you see evidence that it's going to push through, that there's going to be a light at the tunnel? Maybe this election would be overturned? No, I don't. I, I don't see that. I wish I did see it. I would tell you if I did. Um I mean, I, I don't see Trump coming back unless he decides to run again in 2024 and somehow the problem gets fixed. OK, uh, however, that doesn't stop us from exposing light. There's power right. in truth. There's power in light. Amen. And that's my mission is to expose, expose, expose. Um, and so and I know that you're doing the same thing. And I would encourage all your viewers to do the same thing. Uh, and when people say, uh, you know, uh, the election fraud. Uh, the false narrative of election frauds, which is the, the media's buzzword or worse to that effect, push back. Don't let it die. You know, stand for truth. You know, the truth is beyond Donald Trump. You know, righteousness That's right. is beyond is beyond any president. Uh, 
and I do believe the election was stolen from him. There's no question about it, and, and there's no no question that he won the election. None. Uh, but we've got to expose truth. We've got to keep praying. We've got to keep doing the right thing. And eventually, uh, justice can be at the end of the tunnel, but I can't see it from where I sit here in Charlotte this morning, now seven in the morning. So, uh, but don't give up the ship. Don't stop. They want us to stop. They want to beat us into submission. They want us to become discouraged. They want us to become despondent. I say respond to all that with anger, with a righteous anger and bring that anger and fire to the table. And, uh, and let's get this exposed and let's see, do everything we can one step at a time through prayer and hard work and fasting and study of the word and, uh, and adherence to the constitution, do everything that we can to win at one battle at a time. And my Amen. daddy used to say, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? It's going right. to be a one bite at a time thing here. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I, I think that's good advice. Guys, if you want to check out Don, um, go to donbrown.com. Don Brown Books. Don Brown Thank you. Don Brown You can catch him there. Uh, he's also on Amazon. You can find his page. We'll have the links for these up later this morning. Again, we'll have uh, Kate, Dr. Corbett, and uh, D. Manny Mitchell on tomorrow. We're going to be talking about the cannabis oil um, and uh, you know why that's being suppressed how it's actually good for you, and Dee has used that, obviously, to, we had her on the show before, to heal herself of some very severe breast cancer, and so you don't want to miss that. That's 8 a.m. Bradley will be on at 3 p.m. Eastern. We appreciate you, John. Don, thank you for staying over with us, and guys, have a great day. See you at 3 p.m. today. Adios.